Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. For this church, amen. Hebrews, the 12th chapter and the 18th verse. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version this morning. It says, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched, that burned with fire, and to blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. I don't know about you, but that sounds a little frightening. There's wind, there's noise, there's trumpets, and you can't see a trumpet. There's fire, there's an earthquake, there's this loud, booming voice coming from above. That's, that's a lot to take in. It's a lot of sudden change. I could not endure the word that was commanded. It says, and if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or, start, or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. I don't know about you, but this sounds a lot better than the first thing that we were talking about. To the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, hey, that's me, who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. I don't know about you, but the promise of the second half of that reading sounds far greater than all the power and the might that was displayed there at the very beginning of our reading. And that's what I want. I don't know about you, but I want to be coming to Mount Zion this morning. I want to experience the power of God in this place today. Amen. Am I the only one? Am I in a Pentecostal church on Pentecost Sunday? I don't know about you, but that power that fell 2,000 years ago in the upper room is going to fall in this place today. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. I got two or three with me. That's all we need today. So today I want to preach to you. I'm not going to preach too long today. The promise of Pentecost. The promise of Pentecost. Would you put your Bibles down and lift your hands and ask God to speak to us this morning? Lord, we give you praise. Lord, I thank you for your presence that's already in this place this morning. God, I ask that your perfect will is accomplished in this place today. Lord, anoint your messenger today. Let me get out of the way and let your word come through my mouth today. God, I plead your blood right now over our hearts and our ears, God. Let us be unified in mind and in spirit, God, so that we can hear what your word is saying today. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you clap your hands to the Lord as your seat? Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Amen. Praise God. I'm so glad to have my wife and my daughters with me today. Man, it's not always we get to have all of them with us when we preach out, but but they all got to make the short journey down from Highland today. Glad, well, I'm down two. The two of them decided they'd rather go to Sunday school than listen to Daddy preach. They've got snacks in there, though, so I kind of understand that. I'm sure they do. I speak it in faith. Amen. I'm glad to have them have them with me today. And how many would agree with me today that it's it's easy to get stuck in the past? Yeah, it's easy. It's easy to dwell on things. And, you know, we and this is just our nature, Brother Graham. We put on the rose colored glasses of nostalgia sometimes and we and we look at yesteryear and we think about all the good things that happened. We think about 
you know, our first date with our spouse. We think about the night we propose. We think about our wedding day. We think about when our children were born, or we, we think about when we received the Holy Ghost, whatever have you. We, we think about these, quote, good old days, if you will. But here's the thing that I discovered in, in my time, my short time, some people would say on this earth, it is, it is compared to others. But nostalgia, I've discovered, it, it seems to only remember the good things. It happened. I don't, I don't find myself at family get-together sitting around and talking about all the bad things that's going on. If so, I don't want to sit at that table. I'd rather talk about the good times. I don't, I don't know about you, but nostalgia just seems to always remember the good things and, and not the bad. And, you know, I, I find myself, I obviously was not alive at this time, but I know some under the sound of my voice were. But I, I look back and when I look at the time in American history or whatever, I look at the 50s, and, you know, everybody's just got this nostalgic feel about the 50s, the diners, the jukeboxes, the malt shops, all these good things in Americana in our, in our, in our subconscious here that we think about when we think about just the good old days of America. But and all the good things, yes, were there, but, you know, I think about it sometimes, Brother Denton, that we, we think about it, but also there's the constant threat of a nuclear attack from the Soviet Union. You got all these outside things of not knowing what's going to happen. You know, you have these drills where they yell flash or boom, and you got to dive under your desk like that was going to protect you. So you're fried in 30 seconds instead of 29. But you know, nobody talks about those times. They just talk about, about the good old days of going to, down to the malt shop for lunch and during high school or in shop class or things like that. And we always remember just these these good things. And it's easy because of this for people to get stuck in their, in their own past. They just become so, so set on it. I think we all can think of that man or that woman who's in their mid-40s or maybe even older. I'm not saying that's old by any means, so please don't get offended this morning. But they, they're in their mid to late 40s, and yet they seem to think that their best years were their senior year of high school. They're still trying to squeeze into that Letterman jacket. Good luck. <laughs> I don't know about you, but time has not been kind to me since I got out of high school. <laughs> Amen. But, but they, they, they keep thinking back to the past. In the glory days of their life, no matter what they have achieved, they reflect back to senior night at the football field, or they, or they think back to the prom or whatever have you, whatever they went to at that time. And all these things, they think back to those days and they think those were the best days. There's no way that anything can possibly get better than this. And I'm going to pick on the men for just a moment because I, I am one. I identify as one. That's how I was made. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. But you can, you can always tell the best year of a man's life by the way he dresses. Because that's the way he dresses for the rest of his life. I can look at somebody if I'm in the mall or in Walmart or whatever, I'm like, 1989, that was your year. Best year of your life. The windbreaker, the stonewashed jeans, whatever have you, the new balance tennis shoes with grass stains on them, the dad look, we've all got it. If it wasn't for my beautiful wife. My wardrobe when we first met consisted of Cardinals t-shirts, SIU Saluki t-shirts, and... Uh, carpenter style jeans needless to say those were gotten rid of very quickly by the time we got married and she's done several purges since then 
my brother-in-law will show up at my house and he's wearing a shirt that was mine. And I say, hey, I was looking for that shirt the other day because it, it reminds me of the, of the good old days where all I had to worry about was playing church league softball, working my part-time job, and hanging out with my girlfriend, now my wife, on the weekends. I guess I was still trying to hold on to the good old days of less responsibility in the past. And the good old days are here now too. Amen? Amen. I wouldn't trade what God has done in my life. I wouldn't trade what He's doing in this church, in my church, in the organization, in the church of the living God as a whole. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that for anything. But we, we, we just think about those good old days sometimes. And it's easy to get, to get stuck in that. The comfortable days of the past, you see, as good as they are, they're very comfortable. But you see, the comfort of those things, they threaten the promises of today. They threaten the promises that were made of a better tomorrow, and when they could be happening today, we sometimes sit back and just say, yeah, but I'm, I'm comfortable here living in the past, if you will, or, or living in my comfort in the present, whatever have you. They, they inhibit us from trying new things, from branching out, etc. You fill in the blank. It inhibits you from, from change, okay? It inhibits you from, from experiencing change, from going through something. And the same is true in the spiritual sense. You see, I'm, I'm shifting gears here. You don't have to worry. I'm not going to talk about the past the whole time. But the same is true in the spiritual sense. We become comfortable where we are. You know, if I'm glad you've been in church 50, 60 years, if there's somebody here that's been there, but I hope that you aren't still going on that one Pentecost experience that you had some 50 to 60 years ago. But it's easy to become comfortable and lulled to sleep. It's a great trick that the enemy uses. We become comfortable with where we are living, living on the past promises of yesteryear. Yeah, God's been good to me, and He's delivered me out of some things in the past, and I, and I give Him glory for that. But I'm believing of a testimony today of what He's going to do in my life. I'm believing of a testimony tomorrow of what He's going to do in somebody's life. Amen? Amen. I, rem I, remember, I remember a man that would, uh, we don't do testimony services anymore, really. Nobody say anything. But I remember, you know, that has anybody got a testimony? And, you know, people be popping up, you know, talking about something. In that week, they got it done in their life. Man, thank God for that. And then this man would stand up, and he was a good five-minute testimony guy. I mean, you could set your watch by him. And he'd stand up. And this is, I was a child, so mid, late 90s, early, early 2000s. It's been quite some time ago, you know, 20 years or so. And, and I remember he'd get up and he'd start with the year 1977. That's before my time. And it was a great testimony. I'm not trying to take away from that. I'm not trying to belittle that. But I'm thinking, it's 2000 fill in the year here. And the best thing you've got to talk about is from 1977? What, what's God done for you lately? I'm not talking about, you know, it's a what have you done for me lately kind of relationship with God. But I don't know about you, but in my relationship with God, it's a daily thing. It's a daily thing where He's moving in my life. I don't have to hearken back to 20, 30 years ago to tell you about a move of God in my life, but I can take you to an altar just last week. I could take you to my prayer closet at home where I had an encounter with God. Amen. Amen. 
I don't want to become comfortable because even though I might have this aversion to change, and most of humanity does, our God is, does not have an aversion to change. I know His Word is forever settled, and His Word says that He changes not, but guess what? He is in the business of changing people's lives. Amen? The prophet Isaiah, he talked about it in 43 and 19. He says, Behold, I will do what? A new thing. Guess what? Change is coming, the prophet is saying. Now it shall spring forth. It's suddenly going to happen. you gotta be, you got to be ready for it. Shall you not know it? Because you're going to miss it if you're not ready for the change. You're going to miss the promise if you're not ready for it. That's what the prophet is saying. It's dynamic. It's quick. It's suddenly. And because God is dynamic and always moving, many times that brings this sudden change. You know, we don't like things to happen suddenly. We like this gradual thing over time where we can see it, we can plan it out, we can formulate our plans. Well, you know, Brother Graham, if the church grows at X amount of people per year, we'll still be able to build that new building. We won't outgrow this. We'll still be comfortable. I'm not going to lose my seat to a visitor. The change that I can control, and everybody's going to be happy. But what if God's saying, I'm wanting to suddenly have a hundred soul revival in Sparta? What if God is saying, suddenly I'm wanting miracle signs and wonders to be the norm in this church house Sunday in and Sunday out? I don't know about you, but I'd say, God, bring on that new thing. Bring on that promise. I'm ready for it, God. The new thing is going to happen suddenly. But, but here is the problem. We're resistant to change a lot. You can, all of us pretty much under the sound of my voice have worked a job at some time. You're working now. You know, if you work in a corporation, organization, or whatever have you, change is inevitable in any type of organization, whether it be a spiritual organization, a secular organization. Change is going to happen. And it's up to us to be accepting of the change. But initially, when there's change that happens suddenly, People are initially resistant to it. And you might think, well, resistant, that's a, that's a tough word. But a lot of people coil up, back from it, recoil from it, and say, whoa, wait a minute. What's wrong? Why can't we just keep doing things the way we've always been doing them, Brother Graham? Well, here's the problem with that. There's something better on the horizon. Because the leadership or wh whatever have you, the boss man, whatever you want to call him, boss woman, whatever you want to say, has looked ahead down the road and seen a promise ahead and said, we got to make some changes if we're ever going to reach that. Because what we've got going on right now, it, it might be well and good. We think we might be humming along. We might be seeing a good steady increase in our attendance and in our, in our giving. And everything seems to be going well here in Sparta. But pastors looking ahead, the leadership team's looking ahead and saying, today's great, but I see greater things tomorrow. And we got to position ourselves... To be ready for that, amen? Amen. We got to be ready for that change, to, to see that better tomorrow coming down the road. It's better than the today we find ourselves in. No matter how blessed you are today, I'm not trying to be a prosperity doctrine preacher at all. I'm against that wholeheartedly. But I'm telling you, God's got greater things for you tomorrow than He's got for you today. And it's up to us to position ourselves to be there. Amen. And see, this is where the children of Israel find themselves in the opening text in Hebrews 12 that we're referring to. If you 
I don't have time to go back to it. I won't belabor the point with the story and flipping back and back into the Old Testament. But it talks about when they're at Mount Sinai and the giving of the law, the, the first Pentecost, if you will, when the, when the law is given. And God is thundering down. He tells Moses, he says, gather the, the congregation of Israel around the mountain here. I am going to speak to them. It's going to be a sudden change. A lot of these people have never heard the voice of God one-on-one. We take it for granted these days. You and I, we can go to prayer at any moment, at any time, and God is there. He speaks to you and me. The God of the universe, the creator of everything, steps into time and into that moment with you and I. And He ministers to our needs. But the the children of Israel, a lot of them had never experienced the things that God was getting ready to do. God tells Moses, gather them around. I'm going to speak to them. I'm I'm going to talk to them individually and talk to them about my laws and my statutes. And Moses, of course, he's excited about this. He goes and tells the the congregation, he says, come on, guys, gather around here, because Moses had had this experience with God. He has regular conversations with God. He he says, gather around here, guys. This is going to be a life-changing experience for you. You're never going to be the same after this encounter with God. That's what Moses is saying. He said, come on, guys, come on around here. And they gather around the mountain and there's all this smoke and this fire and this thunder and the sound of the trumpet blast. And and they're faced with a choice there. The change is right in front of them. And they can either go forward or stay right where they are. And they say, Moses, you go on ahead. You go up the mountain and talk with God because we can't bear to hear His voice. I, I don't know about you, but I need the voice of God in my life more than I do anything else. I couldn't imagine being so comfortable with a partial deliverance or a partial promise, and God says, I'm getting ready to take you to another level here. I'm getting ready to show you things that even your wildest dreams didn't even come close to touching, and I just say, ah, I'm good. Brother so-and-so can go on ahead. You know, they're, they're, they're more spiritual than I am. You know, their head's in the clouds all the time. I'm real practical. You know, I don't buy into that, that whole, you know, whatever have you. You fill in the blank. But the, you, you just go on ahead there. I've got I've to tend to other things here. That's, that's asking too much of me. I'm just comfortable to stay right here. Moses is in disbelief at this. He's like, you, you have got to be kidding me. But here's, here's the thing. Moses is thinking back to these one-on-one encounters with God that he's had prior to this point. On the backside of the desert, when he's forsaken and alone and wonders if God's ever going to talk to him or God's even hand is going to work in his life. He's on the backside of the desert tending his father-in-law's sheep, and all of a sudden he looks over and sees the bush that is burning. Not an uncommon sight in those times. He's in the desert. It's hot. Spontaneous combustion of vegetation was very common back then. It really was. But here's what was different about that moment. Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. This is holy ground. I don't know about you, but I've never had a piece of vegetation talk to me. That would have my attention. 
And he goes over and he communes with the Lord and talks with him. And God says, I've got some change that's getting ready to happen in your life. You are going to be the vessel that I use to deliver my children. You are going to speak with Pharaoh. Many signs and wonders are going to come from your hand. I'm going to work through you to show these signs and wonders. And what does Moses say? God, I don't know. He steps back just like the rest of the children of Israel did. He says, but, but God, I'm, I'm, I'm slow with speech. I've got a speech impediment. There's no way I can do this thing. Don't you know why I fled Egypt? All these excuses why I just need to stay put right here. And God tells Moses, He says, Who created you? He says, Who created you, Moses? I created you. I created you with those deficiencies. Those very things that you're saying, I cannot change, I'm going to use to bring about change in somebody else's life. Guess what? When you operate in your weakness, when you allow God to work through your weakness, guess who gets the glory? He does. There's no chance in me getting the glory because guess what? I can't do it alone, Brother Graham. I can't do it. You know I don't have the ability to do this. People around you know. But it's undeniable that it's God working through you. It's undeniable that it's the power of the Spirit working through you. Amen. It's a missed opportunity at Mount Sinai on that first Pentecost. The first Pentecost was marked with the power, with the fire, Everything that the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts talks about. God's got this desire for one-on-one communication with His people just like He does today. And we have to be willing to receive what God has for us, church. We have to be willing to receive it. God was desiring to have His power shown in individual lives on that very first Pentecost at Sinai. And He's still desiring that same exact thing today. Each and every person, precious saint of God that I'm looking at out in this crowd, He has a desire to have a one-on-one communication with you. He has a desire to let His power show forth in your life. He has a desire to heal you today of whatever you've got going on. He has a desire to deliver you from whatever's vexing you today. He has a desire to move in every single part of your life and leave you forever changed. Do you believe that? Would you clap your hands to the Lord? Oh, He's the God of the impossible. Oh, hallelujah. we got to be willing to receive it. We have to decide today and every day. It is a daily decision. Who are we going to be? Are we going to be the Israelites at Sinai that I just discussed? Or are we going to be those gathered in the upper room? Because you see... They had received a promise prior to this also in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, And being assembled together with them, He, Jesus, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You have heard from Me. I am telling you this. Here are my words, Jesus is saying. John baptized with water, but you're going to get something better than what he had. You thought John was rocking the boat. You thought he was a sudden change. But guess what? I'm getting ready to change everything. Woo, hallelujah. John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. Hallelujah. Amen. So what, just thinking about this, they're gathered there. Jesus is getting ready to ascend up into heaven. And he, and he pronounces this. And 
I was thinking about this. Jesus had performed many, many miracles during his earthly ministry, Brother Graham. John, at the end of his gospel, he says, I suppose if there's not enough books to contain all the miracles, signs, and wonders that Jesus did during his ministry. So he, he was busy doing miraculous things during his ministry. The gospels contain just a snippet of the power that was on display during Jesus' ministry. And of course, not to be lost in all this is Him resurrecting from the dead. I mean, that's the greatest miracle that there could be. They watch Him die. They watch Him bleed. They watch Him cry out in agony. And three days later, the stones miraculously rolled away. There's angels around. And all of a sudden, He appears in the middle of a room. Let's not get lost on that sudden change. The dead walking again. Blind eyes being opened, deaf ears being unstopped, demonic spirits being cast out. He did a lot of things. And Jesus, in spite of all this, all the great days of the past that the disciples had in their trophy case, if you will, in spite of all this, Jesus says there is something even better just on the horizon. How? How can this be? In my humanity, I say, and I'm sure there were followers, even disciples, that said, Jesus, this is going to be a tough act to follow right here. I'm just going to be honest with you. Rising from the dead, and then He's going to ascend up into heaven, getting ready to. I don't know about you, but that's, that's pretty cool. That'd be cool to see. There were some great days in the past. I'm sure Peter, James, and John Brother Graham, they'd, they'd sit back at, around the fire or whatever have you, and they'd talk about, hey, do you remember when Jesus did X? Do you remember when Jesus did Y? Do you remember that? you remember how awesome that was? you remember how happy Jairus was when Jesus raised his daughter? you remember the tears of joy that mom was crying when all of a sudden the breath of life came back into her? And she rose up and said, what are you all crying about? And they said, daughter, you were dead, but this, this man Jesus came and he, he touched you and he said, rise up, young lady, and you sat up like you had just been asleep. I don't know about you, but the power of God has been manifested time and time again throughout Scripture, time and time throughout century after century. It's been manifested in this church. It's been manifested in my church, but I'll tell you what, he's got even greater things in store. It was just the tip of the iceberg. We are in the latter days. He says the latter rain is going to be greater than the former reign. Greater things than these shall we do. It's the promise. It's the promise. In Mark 16, it says, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. Jesus was doing this, but he's saying, now you're going to do this. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to speak with new tongues. You will take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it, will know, it won't hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Jesus said, I did this, and you thought it was cool? Just wait till I'm working through you, and it happens. And it's multiplied through thousands and millions of believers all throughout the world ministering as the power of God works through their lives. The disciples, they had watched Jesus perform miracle after miracle. And now He says, I'm going to do my work through you. They were able to watch and be awed and inspired and say, yeah, that'd be pretty awesome. And then in Acts chapter 3, John and Peter are going to the temple to pray and they meet the lame man at the gate, beautiful. Peter doesn't make any bones about it. 
says, I, I don't have any money. Inflation must have been high then too. He says, pockets are empty, man. I can't help you with, with that. But let me tell you about what I do have. And all of a sudden, he goes from watching Jesus do it to it's his hand reaching down and grabbing the man and saying, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He became the agent of forever change in that man's life. That man had been lame from birth, I believe the Bible says. And all of a sudden, he can walk. It's nothing Peter did. It's nothing John did. They were just at the right place at the right time for the promise of Pentecost to come forth in that man's life. He's doing the work through them. Jesus is telling them, forget about the old way of operating where you're just traveling around with me and you're you're watching me do all these things. Forget about all that. I'm telling you about a new thing. It's a new SOP or standard operating procedure getting ready to happen in the kingdom. Jesus is saying, I'm sure this had to seem like a sudden shift of change for the disciples. It was sudden. There's all all these things. They've, They've watched Him die and rise again, and now He's been on the earth walking with them, resurrected for some time. All these things flooding around in their head, all these great, powerful things. And then He says, There's greater things to come. Go to Jerusalem and tarry there and wait till you be endued with power from on high, he says. And of course, we know in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and at one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it said upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Praise God. Praise God as the singers and the musicians come. Suddenly, that promise of tomorrow that Jesus had given, that they're thinking, God, we don't know what you're talking about here, Jesus. We, we don't know all this stuff that you're talking about that John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost not, not many days from now. I, I don't know, but you said to go and wait. And that's what I'm going to do, God. They, they went, and, all, and then the Bible says, suddenly, the promise of a greater tomorrow from Jesus became the promise of today. And it happened suddenly. And it happened suddenly when they were in prayer. I don't think there's a mistake in that. You study the history of the Pentecostal movement in North America, the same thing happened at the turn of the 20th century. They were tearing with one accord in one place and in prayer. And then suddenly that young lady began to speak with other tongues. Just like it happened on the day of Pentecost. And what it took was somebody to say, I don't care about the greatness of the past. I don't care about what I've experienced in the past. They were just praying that the, today would be the day that the promise would come to pass. Because I've got this word from God, and I don't have a time stamp on it. And things are going great now, and God's been good to me throughout my years, but He's given me a promise of a better tomorrow. 
And I got to make sure I'm in position. I got to make sure I'm ready because today might be promise day. Today might be the day that suddenly happens in my life. And forever things are changed in my life. Because I got news for you. In the upper room, they weren't the only group that was gathered in Jerusalem for religious activities at Pentecost. It was a feast of the Jews. It was all the way back established in the Old Testament law. Feast of weeks, sometimes called also. It says in Acts chapter 2, after the initial outpouring of the Holy Ghost, it says there was devout men from all over these other countries. and It catches their ear because they're hearing men speak in the language of their nation. So that tells me there was a group of other people there commemorating the same thing. I'll tell you what, Sunday in and Sunday out, there's good, devout people gathering throughout the city, throughout this county, throughout this state, throughout this nation, throughout the world, good, devout people that are gathering. And all the while, the promise is found in this church, and the church is all across this world. And so that tells me if we're not positioned right, if we're not watching and praying, if we're not positioning ourselves for the promise to be manifested in our midst, He'll find another place to make it happen. The power and the promise of Pentecost is dependent upon us being positioned correctly as we stand together. The good news is is that God is still giving that Pentecostal experience. Not on a yearly basis like the festival of Pentecost, but it's on a daily, it's on an hourly, it's on a second basis. Throughout the world, I I love hearing reports from Brother Bruce Howell, our general global missions director. And he has the figures that somewhere X amount of people are being baptized and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost for the first time every single minute. Pentecost is happening every day, not just Pentecost Sunday. The promise of a better tomorrow is for today. It's for the next day. It's for the next day. That's what Peter was getting at in Acts 2 and 39 when he says, for the promise is to you and to the next generation. It's for tomorrow. And to even those that are far off that I haven't even met yet, that he hadn't even thought about you and me being here in the year 2022. But he says, hey, guess what, Landmark? The promise is for you. The promise is for you, sir. The promise is for you, ma'am. All those that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. The promise is for those that are near and the promise is for those that are far. Oh, praise God. No matter, (laughs) the promise of today is greater than the failures of your past. The promise of today of Pentecost is greater than even the greatest day of your life. That you thought that life could not get any better than it is right now. Guess what? The promise is greater than that. When you say my wildest dreams would come true in my walk with God or in my church if X happened, guess what? The promise is greater than your wildest dreams. Because we serve the God of exceedingly. We serve the God of abundantly more than we could ask or even think. It doesn't, our minds cannot comprehend what God has for this church. Yeah. Do you believe that? Yeah. 
It's a heavenly promise. It's a, it's a godly promise. Let's not put mortal limitations on what God can do. It's greater than every triumph and every tragedy, every good day, every bad day. This promise is for a better today. If you need change in your life, guess what? The promise is today. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul quotes the prophet Isaiah, who he didn't know exactly what he was talking about. He was looking ahead in time and, and seeing dimly. Isaiah spoke under the inspiration. He says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. He looked, he could see God was speaking to him about this future day of salvation. And Paul follows that up. He says, now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. You've been looking for the promise. Well, today is the day that the promise comes true in your life. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you experience Pentecost, whether it be for the first time or it be for the thousandth time. Today is that day. Today is the day the promise of Pentecost can come to your life. And because of that, we have a reason to celebrate today. Whether you've experienced this Pentecostal thing I'm talking about or whether you haven't, it's a day of celebration. Because the intent of this feast when it was instituted is to celebrate the harvest. They would take the first fruits and the, the wave offering of the loaves of the grain that they had just harvested. And they had, they had sown months prior, hoping for a better tomorrow. Knowing that only God can give that better tomorrow. And there's going to come a day when we reap that harvest. Feast of Pentecost was that day of harvest where they began to reap everything that they had put in God's hands. And God had promised them, if you walk in my statutes and keep my laws, I'll make sure your harvest is greater than anything you could have ever achieved on your own. And so it's a reason to celebrate today, church. And so my altar call is a simple one today. It's for everybody. If you, if you would gather around the altar if you're comfortable with that. Because... Whether you got a good time going or a bad time going around, whether you're living in sin, let's call it for what it is, whether, whether you're living on the mountaintop of that, of that Pentecostal promise that I've been talking about, either way, you've got a reason to celebrate today. Because of God working in your life as He has been, or because today is the day of that suddenly moment in your life that for the first time the Spirit of God comes into your life and you begin to speak with other tongues as the Scripture said, as the Spirit gives the utterance. It's not a day to be, to be sad. It's not a, it's not a day to be, to be thinking, about, thinking back on the, the days of yesteryear and thinking about the past triumphs and failures of your life or to, or to be thinking about, oh, I wish I could have gone back and done this over. No, no. We don't live in the past. God's not a God of the past, but He's the God of now. And He's the God of that better tomorrow. And let me tell you, as good as He is today, He's even better tomorrow. I know I'm not the only one that has experienced that. Just when I think God cannot be any better to me, brother. Just when I think I don't deserve His goodness to be displayed in my life anymore. There's that promise of Pentecost again. And He comes in and He communes with me. And He writes His law on my heart again. 
And today is better than yesterday. And tomorrow is going to be even better than today. So I don't know where you find yourself. If you've lifted your hands all over this place today, this is between you and God. Like it said in the book of Hebrews in the, and in the Old Testament, he was designed to have a one-on-one encounter. This is a one-on-one encounter between you and God. So we don't need to hang our heads low, but we need to rejoice today. We need to celebrate that, that the God of Pentecost, the promise of Pentecost has come. And it can be experienced today. It can be experienced tomorrow. It can be experienced until the end of this age. As we begin to worship and sing together. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.